questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Alta and Chad Dillard met and married in the early 90s in the city of Little Rock, Arkansas. The marriage was one of destiny, and as Alta would say, arranged. What they did not know is that from that moment on, the couple would partake in a journey into the world of unknown and high strangeness. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. From aliens to ghosts, to a shapeshifter, from meeting people who have been seen and some unseen, this is a story for the open-minded. In 1995, Alta and Chad experienced their first UFO, a massive sight in Hammond, Louisiana. This experience opened their eyes and led them to the well-known French Quarter in New Orleans, where the high strangeness continued. As they tried to take day by day to understand their place and purpose of these unusual events, they met a young lady, a co-worker named Christine. Little did Christine know this would be the most unusual bond of her life. In 1997, a night that would live with them to their last breath, Chad, Alta, and Christine were taken from a street corner in the French Quarter. Alta calls this the night of missing time, where the three have shared their own individual experiences. Everything from Chad's blue bean encounter, Alta's blonde female interaction, and an implant found in her arm and four-digit prints. Their story will take your breath away. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's Veritas ride. Alta and Chad Dillard join us directly from the French Quarter in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello, Alta and Chad, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Oh, doing well. Thank you so much for having us. We are so happy to be here and and just can't thank you enough for this uh, opportunity. My pleasure. And by the way, is it Christine or Christine? Because I saw it written two different ways. Right. Christine. Christine. Okay. So I said that right. And by the way, you are living in one of my favorite, very favorite cities in the world, New Orleans. There's no mm-hmm. parallel to that city. But you have a very interesting story. And as I always do with these stories, I like to go in chronological order. I read a little bit of your bio, but tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Let's start with Alta. Well, that is appropriate since uh, I am 10 years older than Chad, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, a little bit longer in the body to have these experiences. And I'll refer to pretty much everything that others might call weird or even in the light of mysticism, I refer to it all as high strangeness. I borrowed the term many years ago and it has worked well for me. So I try to stay consistent with that. Um, so my beginnings are from, uh, uh, and much of what I share is what I've been told. I don't have a lot of, uh, reference in terms of any kind of real proof for so many questions that I still have in my life. But I'm born in 1957 in the deserts of the Southwest. Uh, I'm told that I'm of mixed native blood, uh, also of 
French and Scottish blood as well. Um, the beginnings of the high strangeness, as far as I understand, is my mother claimed, now I'm raised predominantly with a mother alone. I had a stepfather for about 10 years of my early life, but it's just my mom and I, no siblings. And my mother would share this story briefly with a few folks that she ever uh, trusted in her life, and there were not many. And with so much mystery, I could understand it. Uh, she would say that back when I was probably about six months old, she claims that she left my father and his people and that it was just her and myself in a, in a car driving across a desert and that it was daylight and that a small metallic craft came down out of the sky and stopped her on the road. Now, about the time that she started to mention this story, I was pretty young, preteen, I'd say young teenager. Uh, I'd become so embarrassed that I would exit the room as quickly as I could. And uh, so ultimately, I didn't ever really ever hear any more than that. What I do remember, though, is that folks that she would share this with seemed to be gobsmacked and their mouths would be hanging open as many times when Chad and I have tried to share what's been happening with us, we'd get the same response. So I so understand it. But people would be quite, I think, shocked at her making these kinds of statements. And nobody ever seemed to challenge my mom. And I certainly didn't either. So that's a beginnings and the end of a very short mystery for me. And then uh, I'll fast forward here to... My first actual memories don't start until I'm about nine years old, and it happened to be uh, I'm all of a sudden I'm just waking up, no other way to describe it, uh, waking up, sitting in a hospital setting. Uh, the hospital was called Fitzsimmons Military Hospital in Aurora, Colorado. This would have been... Um, I'm somewhere around nine or ten years old. This would have been, of course, in the mid-60s. And uh, the memory is pretty acute. There's not a lot not a lot to follow what I'm about to say, but the memory is, has always been pretty strong. And that is that I'm being tested for ESP um, in this hospital setting. Uh, now, after this memory comes to me, I almost go blank again, and um, apparently we were living in the vicinity of this hospital in Aurora at that time, my mother, my stepfather, and myself, and then moving along, the next thing I know, because I have no memory of leaving Colorado, I don't really have memory of, um, of even activity in Colorado, other than that, that one very jolting memory. Was that hospital close to the Buckley Air Force Base by chance? I have no idea. Okay. I'll look into that. I have no idea. What I do know is that that hospital continued to be a working hospital uh, up until just a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe even just this last year. And it seems that they just they moved it to another area in Colorado. Uh, but there's lots and lots of information. If I might add also, I'll just add this very quickly. I have spent the last close to at least 15 years, I would say much longer even, 
just delving in and, and throwing myself in head first, trying to find out anything I can about what's happening to Chad and I and my mystery in my childhood. And I've, I've had very little success, but I still, I'm stayed very focused and continue to try. I am, uh, I'm not good with technical at all. Computers and all are almost foreign to me. So it's, you know, kept me at some of a handicap. I've never had children and, you know, I've been told that without a child, you're almost lost in a computer world. So it would appear to be correct so far. And I pray I don't offend anybody out there. By the um, way, do you know that, that it is a, an army hospital? Do you know that? I understand that it was known as a military hospital. Yes, it was known as Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center. It's now known as Fitzsimmons Army Hospital. Wow. Well, that that is the first memory, and then uh, oh, what I'm what I wanted to add uh, quickly, if I might, before I go much further ahead, and then Chad has some to share. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago, I made contact in my feeble way with my computer, uh, emailing Grant Cameron, and because at that time Grant Cameron was not as that I don't remember him being as involved in the conscious level of his studies. He was very much involved in the, I thought at the time, nuts and bolts of all of this. Correct. He uh, changed UFO. when I changed, when Colleen Andrews changed, all at the same time, right. about 10 years ago. Right. <clears throat> well, I, I reached out to him uh, via email, a very short, uh, but very direct message to him indicating that this was my first memory. And could he give me any guidance in how I might try to get these records or get more information? And uh, he was at least kind enough to respond. And I say that with some love and, oh, a little bite behind it, because so often folks are too busy to respond. But he actually did respond. And it wasn't what I wanted to hear, but I was so, I, I'm humbled by all of this. So He's he made great. it clear that. Right. He was very nice. He was very kind, but he did make it very clear. And the best that I remember that message, which was good luck, but that's not going to happen. You're not going to get those records. So uh, I just kind of went away and licked my wounds again for a moment. And I continue to stay open and try to stay very focused on not letting anything kind of hamper or stop me, whatever that means with the doors that open. Uh, so that was the Colorado experience. Next thing I know, we're in the Midwest. We have moved to the Midwest. I spent several years in the Midwest uh, having what I would have considered a relatively normal life, uh, with the exception of I've always been extremely sensitive, and that sensitivity is being aware of energies around me. I hate getting too lost in any of that kind of conversation because I hear lots of folks do spend a lot of time speaking this way, but... That was my reality, what others might call ghost. I, I've always kind of babied up the language to take the scary out of stuff. So I refer to having ghosty experiences. and Sasquatchy. Uh, yeah, Sasquatchy, exactly. And uh, uh, so uh, now the one thing that you might take note of, uh, I never have used the word aliens, ETs, uh these implants, these are not my languages. I've always referred to, I certainly understand everyone else who does. But some of the language I'm very, again, consistent with. 
Um, so, so the Midwest having a, you know, about a 10, 11 year period of time. Uh, my stepfather dies when I'm about 15 years old. Before uh, we go was, there, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I like to just not forget no, certain you. things. The this 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 bustling part, the Fitzsimmons General Hospital or Army Hospital. Why do you think you were taken there for a you know a test? What do you think prompted that? I'm absolutely clueless, with the exception of. My mom would say also to the few that she trusted, and there were not many, that uh, she, her language was that I had abilities. And uh, again, this would embarrass me. This kind of language embarrassed me. But she claims that when I'm little and I could first start speaking, I was having extremely adult prophetic dreams that would come to pass. So she took note of this very quickly. And again, What's the truth about a small metallic craft coming down out of the sky and stopping her on a on a road in the middle of the desert, uh, you know, in the late 50s? Uh, again, now my mother has passed. She died literally on my 40th birthday to the minute I'm born. Like my life has not been strange enough. But um, so she is not physically available and has not been for the last 21 years for me to have these questions for. It was three months after my mother's passing that Chad and I and Christine had that event in the French Quarter in 97. So I just don't have, and I've never had family to talk to, uh, to, to answer any of these kinds of questions. Uh, it is a mystery that I just try to continue to follow. And, um, and do my very best with on my own. When your mother passed uh, away, didn't the phone ring without being connected? Absolutely. And let me mention also, we kept that phone. It was the phone that my mom, we were long distance when my mother, uh, she went into a coma. The one thing my mom had always asked, because I was raised of the, I've always had native regalia. My mother also, we wear almost matching kinds of dresses. Uh, I've been a part of the Native world, but a very international uh, kind of uh, experience. She traveled a lot, intertribal, kept me very active with uh, the community in terms of different states that we lived or where we would travel. But uh, she happened to be in Little Rock when she went into this coma. She was 24 hours of moving to the French Quarter to live with us. We had pre-rented her a mother-in-law cottage in the courtyard of our townhouse, uh, life was perfect. And of course it was not meant to be. She went into the coma long distance. They put her in a hospital before I, I knew anything about this. And this was the last thing my mother would have ever allowed. She begged me throughout you know, my adult life never to, and to chat as well, never to allow her to be put in a hospital on machines. And of course I couldn't stop it. Everything went haywire. And by the time we got to my mom, uh, I was then forced to have to wait until my birthday. And then at the last minute when, uh, and I, it was, there was, it was a very hellish experience. Uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, lose the, the concept of the opportunity of visiting with you and sharing with you these things that have been happening with us. But it, it so happened she died in Little Rock. And 
I end up with all of this inheritance. And one of the things that I chose, Chad and I chose to keep, was that telephone that she had used to try to get help when she went into that coma. Bring that phone back to New Orleans into our condo. We lived in a, it was pretty amazing, this location that we lived in at the time. And uh, that phone was doing all kinds of crazy things, like ring, not plugged in. When it was plugged in, it would, you go over to use it and you'd hear other languages. And I have a fairly good ear for languages and I didn't recognize anything. And it was freaking, now I'm already going through the trauma, Chad and I both are, of the death of my mom. And now I got this crazy phone. Now, you know, moving on from that experience, I'll, I'll kind of leave that story with, where else can you call a phone company but New Orleans and tell them, and they send somebody to your home to check your lines, do everything that you can possibly do to get this crazy phone to work. And all of a sudden, I got the phone company telling me, and she was very sweet, but she said, well, hon, did you ever think it might be haunted? Now, who says that to somebody? Only in New Orleans. Exactly. That's exactly what she said. Well, enough of that phone. I told Chad, that phone's got to go. This phone has got to go. Um, so we had a very close friend at the time who had met my mother, fell in love with her. She felt the same way about him. He wanted that crazy phone. So we passed that phone on to him and uh, life went on. It stopped for us, and I never remember hearing anything about it, doing anything weird for him, but it certainly was for us. So, so, you know, back to the high strangeness of our early lives then. Uh, I, I'm raised in the Midwest. I'm in my second year of college, and all of a sudden, Mom decides she's going to Arkansas. Now, this is the late 70s, and I'm like, what is Arkansas? I, you know, and I meant it so sincerely. It was a state I knew about, but I couldn't fathom what in the world she was doing. Deciding as she was a widow at this stage, deciding that she's going to Arkansas. Well, where mom goes, I go. We were kind of a duo. So that's what ended up getting us to that location. Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. She had a banker friend. This gentleman that was involved in the banking industry, and he saw my mom as kind of an up-and-comer, and she had started educating herself and uh, getting kind of involved in politics on a low level in the Midwest. And so he told her, come to Little Rock, I'll help you, and she made that decision to relocate to Arkansas, and that was a huge decision, and I joined along with her. Um if you care now, I'll have Chad. He actually can speak, and he's very good at it, share with you the few early stories that he experienced in his life. Sure. And the high we'll, stages. we'll merge him for the future, yes, after that. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Kind of the earliest uh, weird thing that uh, – or high strangeness thing that I can remember, my, my dad uh, and grandfather and uncle, they were rice farmers and – sharecroppers together back in the late 70s, you know, or 60s and 70s. And um, 
I guess I was about seven years old at the time, six or seven years old at the time. And we had one of the fields uh, right out beside us had uh, uh, soybeans. And I remember my dad and, and then I, I remember my dad, my uncle and my grandfather talking and I, and then I saw it too, but they were these three very large, probably 12 foot in diameter burnt circles, you know, in a perfect circle, just like bam, 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 like three right there together in a line. And, uh, you know, they'd been farmers all their life, never seen anything like it. You know, I remember they were kind of confused and, you know, really you know, couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, paranormal stuff with some of the houses my dad lived in. Uh, uh, my dad my and his second wife come home one time and, you know, the house is rearranged. Uh, other times my brother would come home. He told me that, uh, you know, they, the house was just rattling, you know, the doors, the windows, just everything just, so a lot of, you know, very parent, you know, kind of weird things happen like that in my family, but never really, you know, anything wild and crazy as far as the Altus, you know, <laughs> with her mom and seeing the, the craft. Uh, but, you know, again, I was kind of open to it, but not, you know, submerged into it throughout my life. Right. You know, Chad and I, neither one of us ever had an interest in what I say, what I what I used to say out there in terms of uh, other than the normal interest in Star Trek or or in Chad's case, uh whatever all of those science fiction movies are, I never had an interest in. So all of this other high strangeness that took place in our lives that have to do with these words called craft and UFOs and what have you is something extremely foreign to me as well as, you know, best that I can take for Chad as well. He Neither one of us had an interest in this area at all. So both of you had... And we'll get to how you both met. That was kind of a synchronicity, mm. I guess. But mm. you both had mystical experiences or paranormal experiences growing up. Is it possible that you both inherited this mystical, uh, let's call it energy, from your parents? And, and does it combine and become a sort of force field that will attract more, like a, like a bigger magnet that attracts mm. more unusual events? Right. That's the million dollar question, right? And then it, it, I think it does run in, in bloodlines and, and, you know, I mean, there's been well, many cases. I'm sorry, Chad. What, what I also was, what's come to mind is it would appear that lots of folks that Chad and I have been friends with prior to us coming together, like in his high school, and then I reunited with friends from my high school that I hadn't seen in 40 years. Uh, but it would appear that they're all experiencers as well with what we call out there with UFOs and their words, aliens and ETs. So, uh, you know, it's certainly on, in Chad's bloodline uh, and from his family, it seems to be coming from both sides of his family, mother's and father's side. In my case, I certainly know what my mother said, which was, you know, what I shared with you all about my early childhood is in terms of being a baby in a craft, 
Um, I don't know about on my father's side as far as any of the high strangeness is concerned, but it's it certainly amped up when Chad and I were brought together, no question about it. So now let's go fast forward to how you both met. That seems to be a very synchronistic uh, event. Mm. Chad's pointing at me, so I'll kind of lead this off. I'll frame this and then have and then have Chad interject uh, his memory of this. 1990, um, Little Rock, Arkansas, Valentine's Day. The sh short story is, I'm 33 at the time, never married, and nor had I had children, nor did I think that I wanted either one of those. Um, but I'm also a very social person and had always desired a family in my life, not necessarily having children, but a family, because it was something that seemed remote to me, um, just being primarily raised with a mother. So this was a day that I was not in the best frame of mind, and I had started a new job. It was involved in the medical world, but it was medical equipment, and I was no more qualified than a man in the moon, literally, because I am not good technical. I had had some medical background working with people hands-on, but this was a new ball game for me, and so um, I'm finding out really to quick, relatively quickly I'm an unhappy camper, and I've made a mistake. Well, I'm only like a week on this job, and it was long enough for me to get to know this coworker. This guy, his name's David, happened to be around my age. He was, uh, or maybe a little younger than I am. He was married. Oh, Chad's pointing. He was Chad's age. Uh, and remember, again, I'm 10 years older than Chad. So, oh, God, he was very young. He was a father, uh, husband, and had a new baby. And he just seemed to not be able to could stand the idea that I didn't have a date for Valentine's. So he took it upon himself to try to arrange a blind date for me via the phone. Now, again, this is 1990 telephones, old-fashioned phones. I could only hear one side of the conversation. I'm standing there, and I'm hearing myself being described. And I, honest to say, I sounded pretty hot. I'm thinking, I wouldn't mind dating me. But the mood that I was right, you know, the mood I was in was just... I don't want a blind date, never had one. It was just real tacky on my part. Well, all of a sudden she now was, I find out. She was out, a Valentine Grinch. Yes, <laughs> a Valentine Grinch. That's good, Chad. Thank you. Um, so anyhow, David didn't care that I was standing there growly about all of this. And uh, come to find out the date can't make the date because the date has to work that night. But it sounded like the date was interested. And this is what David is leaving me with. He really wants to, but he can't. Okay. So I leave that office, you know, 5 o'clock, what have you, and I'm just in the worst mood, the worst mood. I decided to do something that night, and it's not because I'm some saint. I'm far from being a saint. But the one thing I never did was drink and drive. And I had decided that night I'm all on my own, don't even know anybody to call to join to have a an evening with. I'm going to go out and have a drink. When I get home, I'm going to change my clothes, get out of my dress clothes, put on my play clothes, and go have a drink. So trying to speed the story up, if I might, there's no doubt to me, absolutely no doubt to me, that there were two what appeared to look like men, but they were extremely handsome, extreme. One very dark-haired and one light-haired, a blonde-haired and a dark-haired man. Very well-dressed. 
they were, I'm moving the story, trying to move it faster because it takes so long. But these men, this is my take on this, seem to be used to make sure that I got from a location that I met them in to the second location in that city that night that would set up uh, a very strange rest of the night. I feel absolutely because the gentlemen were uh, what I did learn about them was that now I stayed in the worst mood, which doesn't make sense. These men were extremely good looking, extremely polite and uh, seemed interested in me, not sexually or anything of that nature, just interested in like, like buddies, you know, like hanging out. Thanks. Thanks, Chad. And so, uh, what I did learn about them, don't remember anything about names or anything of that nature. I do remember how well they were dressed. One had on an expensive bomber jacket, leather bomber jacket. He was the blonde haired uh, gentleman. Well, come to find out the dark haired supposedly owned an airplane that the blonde was his pilot, his private pilot. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Well, back in the day, I'm not asking questions. I'm not, I'm just thinking this is, this is weird. This is just weird. But all right. I could have a worse night. Um, they wanted to know if there was another place in the city that was more lively. <clears throat> that told me these guys weren't from there. Um, I had been in and out of the city many times throughout the years. Uh, I'd come home where my mom was, then I'd leave for years at a time, living out in California, Kansas City, all over the country. So the city changed a great deal in these changes when I'm coming in and out. So I wasn't real familiar with a lot of the changes in the city. So I tell these guys, I picked a location that I had never been to before, but it wasn't far from where we were at, and my mom was what I consider a self-made woman for the city. She had started college back in the 70s as a 40-year-old widow. It took her 10 years, got a degree in pre-law at 50. President Clinton happened to be one of my mother's law professors when he was attorney general for the state. Well, that's all it took because you make that kind of connection and you're connected. So my mother was a mixed native woman who was connected. And she, at that time, was he had she'd been appointed first female housing inspector for the city, premise inspector, code enforcement officer, all these big titles. So this location that I tell these guys to go that we're going to go to is a place I'd never been to, but it was a place that was in my mother's territory. My mom was very well known in the city, and I was kind of operating under the guise of protected by having a mother that was known like a mama bear. So I'm making decisions that I just normally would never make on my own. Weird night. Next thing I know, I don't remember leaving the place I met these guys, but I, next thing I know, we're at that location. Now it's blank. Now I'm sober, but it's blank between point A to point B. By the time we get to point B, it happens to be a big sports bar. Uh, I have a girlfriend that lives not far from there that I know is single also. And I'm thinking maybe she doesn't have a date. I'm going to call her, 
see if she wants to join us. I do it. I des I describe these two guys that I'm there with, and this is my take on it. My memory of this is she's there before we hung up the phone. How do you pronounce her name? Is it Twyla? Her name is, uh, well, I always think mm -hmm. of her full name uh, in terms of, of, as you understand. Well, when we changed her name in the book. So. Okay, okay. But did I so, say that right? According to your change of name, is it Twyla? You, you did. Okay. You did. And so we, she's, she, she shows up and again, I'm having just weird behavior, uh, out of the norm for me, such as that bad mood was still there and it wasn't lifting. Next thing I know, she comes and I, I get her introduced to these guys. I don't even know their names and I don't stay with them. I leave them and I go to the other side of this bar all by myself, and I go sit up at the bar where the bartender is at. And, I mean, I'm just as antisocial as you can be. And uh, I sit there for what feels like forever, just falling into a deep slump of growly, just growly. And the next thing I know, uh, there's a very sweet voice. I've got my head down, and I'm looking down uh, because I'm really falling into a deep, kind of darkness feeling inside of myself. I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm perplexed. And uh, all of a sudden this very sweet voice asked me if I wanted to play pinball. Well, that's a game that I absolutely hate. So in that terrible mood I was in, I started to say something very nasty. But by the time I, my eyes rose from looking down at the floor and I come up his body, I get to his face and he's got a very beautiful smile and real pretty blue eyes. and just a nice guy, and it happens to be Chad, and I'll have Chad pick it up from here. Yeah, like I just said, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine, David, called me up and said, oh, I got this great girl I want you to meet. You know, I know you like older women, yada, yada. What are you doing tonight? I was like, I got to work. He's like, call in sick. I'm like, no, they'd kill me because it's Valentine's Day. But, and then after work, you know, no, none of us guys had dates, so we decided to go uh, – play darts at the pub and uh, again this was a place I'd never been to but we went and when we got when I got there I'm like well I don't want to play you know and I, so I left all my friends I mean there's probably eight nine of us ten of us you know and I leave all my friends go to way to the other side of the bar playing pinball by myself I play a game and look over and see a you know this female at the bar and I go over and ask her if she wants to play pinball. She's like, well, I hate pinball, but I'll play with you anyway. You know, so she comes over. We play a game and and getting ready to play the second game. And she goes, what's your name? Or, by the way, what's your name? I said, Chad. She goes, well, my name's Alta. She goes, do you know a guy named David? I'm like, yeah. She goes, did he call you today? I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, I'm Alta. I'm the one that you're supposed to meet. I, I, we were supposed to go out tonight. So it was like almost like a blind date that didn't happen. That happened anyway, you know, because she ends up, I was still living at my mom's house. She had kind of practically actually moved in with her boyfriend anyway. So we go over to my house in, um, we sat up and talked all night long. I mean, just all night long. And my mom had come in uh, that next morning like, 
five, six o'clock that morning to get ready for work. And uh, I'm like, hey, mom, you know, this is, or, you know, mom, this is Alta. Alta, this is my mom, Janice, you know. And uh, she's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go get ready for work. And, you know, a couple minutes later, she calls me back to, you know, her part of the house, to the back of the house. And she's like, well, does Altus, that name, does that name sound familiar to you? And I'm like, no, she's, she goes, well, you know, your grandfather, my dad, she goes, you know, he always went by George, but Alta is his real name. And, you know, he, he went by George because he thought Alta was too feminine. So, but, <clears throat> you know, his, his name was actually Alta George Duncan. And then I go back and I tell Alta this, and uh, she's like, well, my mom's maiden name is Duncan. Duncan. That's incredible. It's crazy. So, you know, essentially, incredible. I, you know, married, you know, later on, we married a year later, you know, so I married and, but she hid from me for three months after I told her this. Oh, it and scared me I couldn't so. find her. She, I mean, the way Chad's saying that, it almost <laughs> sounds comical, but it was it, it absolutely tweaked me so deeply inside that I couldn't it I couldn't grasp what was happening to me. It just it tweaked me. It it frightened me. Because yeah. I already have so many mysteries about family, names, uh you know, all of that. That this was just more than I could that I could handle. When and yes, was your three first... months I disappeared. When was your first paranormal or high strangeness experience as a couple? I would consider that. Oh, yeah. Because the, well, true, true. The second but, one, I guess. But I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what I mean by that is, right. again, I'm, I'm positive that there was something otherworldly about those two men that made sure that I got to that location. Those two men... Uh, did you say the friend, Twyla, did, was she with them at one point of the night? And I'm so sorry. I, I, I misheard you. Her name is Treva. Oh, Treva. I don't know right. why. I, my, no, no, no. Okay, that Treva. Was, All right, right. So Treva, did she spend time with these two individuals? Well, the last that I remember was introducing them, and then I, I parted from them. I, I moved to the other side of the location, left them playing pool, and just chose, again, the behavior of that night is and just I, so I, I do unusual. remember seeing them because I knew, I knew, I knew Treva when, uh, because she would Chad and I the knew her separately, bar. so I, he knew her as well. I, I worked at the Oyster Bar, and she would come in there. She was a regular. You know, I um, almost asked you when I was reading the book, you don't, you don't mention that the Oyster Bar. But that's one of my favorite places in New Orleans. I was suspecting mm -hmm. with that looking at names, because you don't mention the names in your book. But I was wondering, I wonder if you were at the Oyster Bar. But Trevor mm -hmm. and those two individuals, you said that one was a pilot and the other one was somebody whose the pilot was working for. And I don't know why I'm thinking of Little Rock, Arkansas. No mm -hmm. offense here. Bill mm -hmm. Clinton. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. of Mina, Arkansas. I didn't want mean to bring mm -hmm. this up to this topic. Mm -hmm. But what mm -hmm. happened to Trevor later? Do you mm -hmm. think there's a correlation right. between these two individuals and what happened to her? And we'll get to that in a moment. Mm. 
Well, again, we've only been left with what we've been able to discover online and as it stands, but there are so many tentacles as far as I'm concerned to all of this, but to the best of our understanding, Chad and mine, uh, there was a man convicted of her murder. It took 20 years, but 20 years later, he was convicted with DNA, and he's serving a 40-year sentence. Um, she had she had a very convoluted life herself, our friend. And so when you have, as I said, when you have so many tentacles, so many uh, possibilities, it that we were left imagine sir because again i thank you so much for the interest in just even uh, this part of our story so many people have not been interested in this uh and but, for the listeners your friend was murdered she was mm -hmm. horribly she, she only lived a mile away from us she and i worked in the medical profession at the time she had a secret life that uh, I wasn't aware of anybody knowing about it except me and Chad. Now, I knew that the dark world would know about it because she, what her secret was was she was a closeted junkie um, who managed to keep that life completely, as interesting as this sounds, separated from our work in the medical world. And... Uh, of course, one can only do that for so long, obviously, but she had, I came upon discovering this about her, uh, Chad came upon discovering this about her, this is not our world, never has been, and um, she, as I said, lived a mile away from us. Chad and I were new love, we were three months living together, and um, and she's murdered. She's slaughtered. There's not any other way to put it. And what do you think was the motive? Well, that's where it gets so. Chad's sitting here and shaking his head side to side because could it could have been drug use? Could have been him it? just seeing her coming in and out of the house. I I'm not. Could it have really been sure. some other dark? was right. let me mention this since you kind enough to you know spend some a little time with us yeah this is what we've been left we were left with for 20 years plus for anybody who cares the police the detective there was a lead detective on this case that targeted us yeah you were he persons targeted, of interest right absolutely yeah. Yeah, because really ugly it got it got extremely ugly and dangerous because here Chad and I are left with what in God's name has happened to her. And we got this. I'm being called in constantly for, uh, we both are, for um, um, interrogation. And because, again, it's one thing to say what you think you would do. It's another when you're thrust into it. As my mom always said, you do better when you know better. I I might also mention since, you know, again, I don't I don't even remember how much of that was left in the book because so much of our book was edited. But ten years prior to this murder, I was a young, twenty-something year old who'd moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, with my mom, 
And shortly after I moved there, I got involved with a police officer who happened to be a full-blooded Indian who was on their police department. This native man had been raised in an all-white family from the time he was born. They had made arrangements with his mother to take him at birth and raise them all on his own, on their own. He never had a clue other than he was full-blooded Indian, very dark-skinned. You knew when you saw him this was an Indian man. Um, I'm mixed and very light-skinned, but he had no idea about his nativeness. I met him in the experience. Um, I was working through a government program doing some tracing for the state of Arkansas for native blood. This was back in the 70s. He comes into the office, and I was not very nice. I was, they called me cute, pretty at the time, and I was so shocked that this native man was wearing a a police uniform. I was rebellious. I was a good girl in the sense that I didn't, I was not into drugs. My drug of choice at the time was alcohol, but they considered that legal. So my point is, is I was just, I was just a brat and he liked that. And so the flirting began and next thing I know, we began dating. I knew very early on that they were going to turn him into a, into a narcotics officer, a narc. Now again, this is the late seventies. I knew that he was going to be dirtied up and I knew that I may have friends out there that he might encounter. And it just, I'm a very loyal person. Plus, I was just a brat. I made it clear to him that if he didn't leave the department, I wasn't going to see him any longer. I take up your time with that story that I've never said it on air, online, anywhere. And the reason I share that is because they have a long memory. And that narcotics department, that police department never forgave me. Not that I'm important, but I offended a lot of people by having him quit that department. And this is where, is never, this still Little Rock? That's right. This uh -huh. is Little Rock. Okay. Well, right. You, when you, when right. I mention Mina, does that ring a bell to you? I'm very familiar with all of that. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, talk about whore. That mother is still, I'm not sure if the father is still alive. Well, that, uh, and also the term Arkansas, are you familiar with that too? I'm sorry. What? I'm, uh, are you I'm familiar sure with the term Arkansas instead of suicide? Oh, Arkansas. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, right. True. You know, Chad is born and raised Arkansas. Went to Central High School, the most one of the most famous high schools in the world. During, uh, you know, brought in the National Guard back in the fifties. That was Chad's high school. And let me add. We've, he's, we've discovered folks that he graduated from. Now he's 10 years younger, so he would have been in the 80s graduating. But we've, we've spoke to folks that he went to school with that have much crazier sounding stories than anything that we have to share with what they call aliens. So it's, that was not a circle I was moving about back in the day when, but the point is, is that I offended this police department. They were very small at the time and uh, not forgiving. So you fast forward 10 years later and 
I swear on my mother, again, I've never been public about this, but the day that that murder, when they came to our home, knocked on that door, the detective that was originally announcing to us uh, wanted to know if, if uh, called, called me out by name. It was just Chad and I home. It was a Sunday. We were having dinner. And all of a sudden, this man makes it clear to me, us, he, all he has to do is start to say our friend's name. And um, I felt instantly, I knew instantly she was dead. But I felt that this would have been, I felt like it could have been suicide or overdose or drug overdose because of her, what we thought was her secret of having a secret drug life. Um, I begged him, this detective, to, to, get, to take us to her. And he made it very clear at that point that I would never want to see her in the condition she was in. Please keep that in mind because it wasn't too much longer after this. Chad and I supposedly now are being very involved in this murder story as if we understood what had happened. And by the well, way, and I mean to interrupt you again, but for those who are listening to us who see the title of the book are or abducted in the French Quarter, they might think, why does this have to do with <laughs> the other story? But we have to give the background so that you can see the perspective of all. Exactly. And I thank you again for that. Um, we will we will get this moving here. Um, so ultimately Please remember that there was uh, unforgiveness that was going on with that police department when our friend is murdered. Now it feels like they are now on top of us, and um, uh, it becomes public. Uh, friends, so-called friends, found out that Chad and I were being investigated as well. Our lives were basically taken from us, and here we're left not knowing what monster did this. Could it be a monster that was coming for us as well? Nobody was protecting us or caring about what was happening to us. So our lives were basically taken from us. I finally couldn't take any more, and I said to this detective, are we free to leave here? And he made it clear we were. Chad and I then chose to leave that area, leave the state, and um, we married a year later. And, and then ultimately... We end up, my mother moved to Louisiana, um, the outskirts of, well, she was living kind of out in the um, country of Louisiana, uh, not far from a community called Hammond, Louisiana. Hammond is a small college town. So she invited for us to come and join her. We had never been, so we said, what the hey? We didn't have children. So we were looking forward to reconnecting with my mom and developing our lives with each other again. So Chad and I moved to Louisiana. Um, my mom chose to go back to Arkansas. Of course, that was not a location we were interested in returning because this is still, at that time, this was still an open murder case. So Chad and I chose to stay behind and... I'll have Chad pick this up for our first UFO encounter that we both have memory of. Yeah, this was uh, 95, uh, I, was our first experience. Uh, yeah. And um, so we're, we're living kind of rural out, out, of the, out of the city, out of the town. And we're coming through and we get 
just getting into town, and we kind of go around this group of trees. And right behind this group of trees in this bend in the road uh, is the local, you know, Walmart shopping center. Well, when we get around these group of trees, we look up into the sky, and there's this craft, and it is huge. I mean, it takes up the whole sky. It's it's bigger than the shopping center and the parking lot and the other shopping center and the field next to it all combined. You know, it's just huge. It's kind of a not a rectangle shape, but it's kind of yeah, well, it's, I guess it's a rectangle shape, but on one end it's longer and then the other end it's shorter. So almost pyramidy, but not with the point. Uh, very dark, below cloud level. Uh, now this was still kind of early. It wasn't, it wasn't late in the evening. It was still pretty light. Um, but we look up at it. There's a couple of lights uh, on the front and three or four lights in the back. Again, moving so slow. It's like, it, how does it stay up there? You know, and not, and not just fall out of the sky. Silent. It was silent. Silent, silent. Now we've got, I, I believe we probably had the windows up and, and all that, but still, and there was no reaction by other people. You know, there's other people driving around. Uh, and now again, I'm driving. This was on the left hand side, or I'm sorry, on the right hand side of the road. So, you know, the passenger side of the road. So we both look up at it and, you know, give it a glance. I look down and Alta turns to look back at me. I look back up at it just to make sure I saw what I thought I saw. And is again, it's just huge. And of course, you know, I'm driving, so I have to focus back on the, on the, on the road again. We didn't see anybody pulling over, you know, back then there was no, you know, phone cameras and all that, you know, it wasn't like the technology today that everybody's got a phone in their pocket. So, you know, no, no, um, no cameras. We, I focused back on, you know, the road and it, it was like in my back of my mind, I was like, okay, if, if I don't acknowledge it, if, if I don't look at it, they won't know I saw them. That was kind of what went on in my head. Now I didn't say it out loud to Alta. We never, never even spoke about it. We were just like, Gulp and, you know, on to dinner we go. We go to the restaurant. We, we have dinner that night, go home. Uh, the only reason we spoke about it the next day was we, I, I believe, heard it on the radio that other people had reported, uh, sighting, you know, in the Hammond area and, you know, but then again, right after that, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're not crazy. Other people saw it. It had to have been something. But, you know, after that, we never spoke about it again. You know, not until later on once we had our other experiences. And so you saw the craft. You've heard about the Phoenix Lights, right? Right. Any similarity between these two craft? No, not really. It was kind of... Like I said, almost like a obelisk, but just not, you know, pointed. You know, it was kind of 
and, and much wider than an obelisk. You know, it was, oh, what is it? Did other like people, a triosity. Sure, I get Maybe that. Like a Did yeah. other people and report you know, this to the authorities? Well, I, I like had report, somebody had reported, because we turned on the local radio in the car and whatever the local station was, was talking about folks seeing a UFO that night, the night before. So, you know, somebody had, somebody had reported something. We don't know to who or what or, because again, please remember as Chad just gave his description of that event, uh, I have always, and still, I'm stuttering just to repeat it, uh, that can't happen. There can't be something that size that takes up the sky that just sits there and it doesn't have a sound. That can't happen. And so my head turned away instantly, but I turned away with what I say with a brain that absolutely exploded. I felt my head go, I felt myself go into shock. I was in shock. So that shock continued because even though we heard the next morning that others or somebody else had seen it, we still, that was a non-event. We never discussed it. If we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. That was the state of mind we were both in, in having this experience. Um, it's as it's as layered as I'd like to mention very quickly, if I might, before we go even further, because we're about to go into that, uh, the experience in the quarter. But back one more time, if I might, about our friend that was killed. At the time that she's murdered, she had just shared with me. Now, this is all for the most part. You can look this stuff up and see what what I'm telling you um, time wise. Well, hold it right uh, there because we need to break both segments and I want to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger there and you'll tell us what she told you, which is so important. And then we're going to get into the story of orb abduction. And this is a new term for many people. I'm very familiar with orbs. In fact, I'm working on a story and you've probably heard me for years tell you that I have a very important story that I'm not able to discuss and I have the images to prove it but I cannot share with you because the owner of these pictures, has he has not authorized me. In fact, the last time I contacted him a few weeks ago, we haven't talked in years. He said, I am not able to talk. I have been warned. And I asked him by whom? And he told me about one of the triple digit agencies. So we had to be very careful. But orbs, this is something not a lot of people discuss. And I'm glad when I saw your book, Orb abducted and knew exactly, exactly what you were referring mm-hmm. to. Well, let's mm-hmm. discuss this when we come back. How can people buy Orbducted in the French Quarter, Alta and Chad? Uh, well, you can find us on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, we are selling it on Etsy also. And if you're in the French Quarter area, you can go by uh, where Alta works at Earth Odyssey. Or you can go to the Happy Hookah on Toulouse Street. <laughs> so that's that's our uh, that's our um, places to purchase the book. So we're working we're working our way up uh, one book at a time. Can you uh, smoke the hookah, or you just buy the hookah pipes there? Uh, you just no, you just buy the pipes there. Excellent. You can, uh, uh, all all your shopping needs <laughs> excellent 
F- and or abducted. <laughs> and or abducted. Well, folks, I'm here with Alta and Chad Dillard. A very fascinating story. And we have much more to discuss when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.